The Wanderings of Freya, for Myths and Legends Around the World, Collection 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sandra, near Montreal, 2022. From the Heroes of Asgard, by A. and E. Curie, 1904. Part 1. The Necklace Brisingamon Now, though Frey was made king and schoolmaster of the Light Elves, and spent the greater part of his time with them in Alfheim, his sister, Freya, remained in the city of Asgard and had a palace built for her named Folkvang. In this palace there was one very beautiful hall, Sesrimnir, the roomy seated, where Freya entertained her guests and she had always plenty of them, for everyone liked to look at her beautiful face and listen to her enchanting music, which was quite superior to anybody else's. She had, moreover, a wonderful husband named Odur, who was one of the sons of the immortals, and had come from a long way off on purpose to marry her. Freya was a little proud of this, and used often to speak of it to Frigga and the other ladies of Asgard. Some of them said she was a very fortunate person, but some were a little jealous of her, whilst Frigga always gravely warned her not to be vain on account of her happiness, lest sorrow should overtake her unawares. Everything went on quite smoothly, however, for a long time, Freya leading a very gay and beautiful life in the sunshine of her happiness, and herself a very radiant joy to everyone around her. But one day, one unlucky day, Freya, this fair and sunshiny young Vanna, went out alone from Asgard to take a walk in Alfheim. She hoped to meet somewhere, thereabouts, her dear brother Frey, whom she'd not seen for a long time and of whom she wanted to ask a very particular favour. The occasion for it was this. Heimdall and Aegir were expected to dine at Valhalla the next day, and Freya and her husband were invited to meet them. All the lords and ladies of Asgard were to be there. Njord, too, was coming with his new wife, Skadi, the daughter of a giant. Everyone will be beautifully dressed, said Freya, and I have not a single ornament to wear. But you are more beautiful than anyone, Freya, said her husband, for you were born in the spacious wind home. All are not so high-minded as you, Odur, answered his wife, and if I go to Valhalla without an ornament of any kind, I shall certainly be looked down upon. So saying, Freya set off, as I told you, to Alfheim, determined to ask of her good-natured brother a garland of flowers at least. But somehow or other she could not find Frey anywhere. She tried to keep in Alfheim. She thought she was there. But all the time she was thinking of her dress and her ornaments, planning what she should wear, and her steps went downward, downward away from Alfheim to the cavern of four dwarfs. Where am I? said Freya to herself as she at last lost the light of day, and went down wandering on deeper and deeper between the high walls and under the firm roof of rock. Why, surely this must be Svartheim, and yet it is not unpleasant nor quite dark here, though the sun is not shining. 
and in truth it was not dark, for far on before her, winding in and out through the cavern's innermost recesses, were groups of little men who had each a lantern in his cap and a pickaxe in his hand, and they were working hard, digging for diamonds, which they piled up the walls and hung across the roof in white and rose-colored coronets, marvelously glittering. Four clever little dwarf chiefs were there directing the labors of the rest, but as soon as they caught sight of Freya, they sat down in the center of the cavern and began to work diligently at something which they held between them, bending over it with strange chattering and grimaces. Freya felt very curious to see what it was, but her eyes were so dazzled with the blaze of diamonds and lanterns that she was obliged to go nearer in order to distinguish it clearly. Accordingly, she walked on to where the four dwarfs were sitting and peeped over their shoulders. Oh, brilliant, exquisitely worked, bewildering. Freya drew back again with almost blinded eyes, for she had looked upon the necklace Brisingamon, and at the same moment a passionate wish burst forth in her heart to have it for her own, to wear it in Valhalla to wear it always round her own fair neck. Life to me, said Freya, is no longer worth having without Brisingamen. Then the dwarfs held it out to her, but also looked cunningly at one another as they did so, and burst into a laugh so loud that it rang through the vaulted caverns, echoed and echoed back again from side to side, from dwarf to dwarf, from depth to depth. Freya, however, only turned her head a little on one side, stretched out her hand, grasped the necklace with her small fingers, and then ran out of the cavern as quickly as ever she could, up again to the green hillside. There she sat down and fitted the brilliant ornament about her neck, after which she looked a little shyly at the reflection of herself in a still pool that was near, and turned homewards with an exulting heart. She felt certain that all was well with her, Nevertheless, all was not well, but very miserable indeed. When Freya was come back to Asgard again and to her palace of Fokvang, she sought her own private apartments that she might see Odur alone and make him admire her necklace, Brisingamen. But Odur was not there. She searched in every room, hither and thither. But alas, he was not to be found in any room or any hall in all the palace of Fokvang. Freya searched for him in every place. She walked restlessly about, in and out among the places of the room he seated. She peered wistfully with sad eyes in the face of every guest, but the only face she cared to see she never saw. Odur was gone, gone back forever to the home of the immortals. Prisingamen and Odur could not live together in the palace of Fokvang, but Freya did not know this. She did not know why Odur was gone, nor where he was gone. She only saw that he was not there, and she wrung her hands sadly and watered her jewels with salt-warm tears. As she sat thus and mourned in the entrance of her palace, all the ladies of Asgard passed by on their way to Valhalla and looked at her. Some said one thing, some another. But no one said anything at all encouraging, or much to the purpose. Frigga passed by last of all, and she raised her head with a little severe shake, saying something about beauty and pride and punishment, 
which sank down so deeply into the heart of the sorrow-stricken young Vanna that she got up with a desolate resolution and presenting herself before the throne of Asa Odin, spoke to him thus, Father of Aesir, listen to my weeping, and do not turn away from me with a cruel frown. I have searched through my palace of Folkvang and all through the city of Asgard, but nowhere is Odur the immortal to be found. Let me go, Father Odin, I beseech you, and seek him far and near, across the earth, through the air, over the sea, even to the borders of Jotunheim. And Odin answered, Go, Freya, and good fortune go with you. Then Freya sprang into her swift, softly rolling chariot, which was drawn by two cats, waved her hand as she rose over the city, and was gone. Part 2 Loki, the Iron Wood, a Boundless Waste the cats champed their bright bits and skimmed alike over earth and air with swift clinging steps, eager and noiseless. The chariot rolled on and Freya was carried away up and down into every part of the world, weeping golden tears wherever she went. They fell down from her pale cheeks and rippled away behind her in little sunshiny rivers that carried beauty and weeping to every land. She came to the greatest city in the world and drove down its wide streets. But none of the houses here are good enough for Odur, said Freya to herself. I will not ask for him at such doors as these. So she went straight on to the palace of the king. Is Odur in this palace? she asked of the gatekeeper. Is Odur the immortal living with the king? But the gatekeeper shook his head and assured her that his master had never even heard of such a person. Then Freya turned away and knocked at many other stately doors asking for Odur, but no one in all that great city so much as knew her husband's name. Then Freya went into the long, narrow lanes and shabby streets where the poor people lived, but there it was all the same. Everyone said only, No, not here, and stared at her. In the night-time Freya went quite away from the city and the lanes and the cottages, far off to the side of a lake, where she lay down and looked over into the water. By and by the moon came and looked there too, and the Queen of Night saw a calm face in the water, serene and high, but the Queen of Beauty saw a troubled face, frail and fair. Brisingamen was reflected in the water too, and its rare colours flashed from the little waves. Freya was pleased at the sight of her favourite ornament, and smiled even in the midst of her tears. But as for the moon, instead of Brisingamen, the deep sky and the stars were around her. At last Freya slept by the side of the lake, and then a dark shade crept up the bank on which she was lying, sat down beside her, and took her fair head between its hands. It was Loki, and he began to whisper into Freya's ear as she slept. You were quite right, Freya, he said, to go out and try to get something for yourself in Svartheim, instead of staying at home with your husband. It was very wise of you to care more for your dress and your beauty than for Odur. You went down into Svartheim and found Brisingamen. Then the immortal went away. But is not Brisingamen better than he? Why do you cry, Freya? Why do you start so? Freya turned, moaning, and tried to lift her head from between his hands, 
but she could not, and it seemed in her dream as if a terrible nightmare brooded over her. Brisingamen is dragging me down, she cried in her sleep, and laid her little hand upon the clasp, without knowing what she was doing. Then a great laugh burst forth in Svartheim, and came shuddering up through the vaulted caverns until it shook the ground upon which she lay. Loki started up and was gone before Freya had time to open her eyes. It was morning, and the young Vanna prepared to set out on her journey. Brisingamen is fair, she said as she bade farewell to her image in the lake. Brisingamen is fair, but I find it heavy sometimes. After this, Freya went to many cities and towns and villages, asking everywhere for Odur, but there was not one in all the world who could tell her where he was gone, and at last her chariot rolled eastward and northward to the very borders of Jotunheim. There Freya stopped, for before her lay Janvid, the iron wood, which was one road from earth to the abode of the giants, and whose tall trees, black and hard, were trying to pull down the sky with their iron claws. In the entrance sat an iron witch, with her back to the forest and her face towards the vanna. Yarnvid was full of the sons and daughters of this iron witch. They were wolves and bears and foxes, and many-headed ravenous birds. Eastward, croaked a raven as Freya drew near. Eastward in the iron wood, the old one sitteth. And there she did sit, talking in quarrelsome tones to her wolf sons and vulture daughters, who answered from the wood behind her, howling, screeching, and screaming all at the same time. There was a horrible din, and Freya began to fear that her low voice would never be heard. She was obliged to get out of her chariot and walk close up to the old witch, so that she might whisper in her ear. Can you tell me, old mother, she said, where Odur is? Have you seen him pass this way? I don't understand one word of what you're saying, answered the iron woman, and if I did, I have no time to waste in answering foolish questions. Now the witch's words struck like daggers into Freya's heart, and she was not strong enough to pull them out again, so she stood there a long time, not knowing what she should do. You had better go, said the crone to her at last. There's no use in standing there crying, for this was the grandmother of strong-minded women, and she hated tears. Then Freya got into her chariot again and went westward a long way to the wide, boundless land where impenetrable forests were growing and undying nature reigned in silence. She knew that the silent Vidar was living there, for not finding any pleasure in the gay society of Asgard, he had obtained permission from Father Odin to retire to this place. He's one of the Aesir, and perhaps he will be able to help me, said the sad-hearted young Vanna, as her chariot rolled on through empty moorlands and forests, always in twilight. Her ear heard no sound. Her eye saw no living shape, but still she went on with a trembling hope till she came to the spot, begrown with branches and high grass, which was Vidar's dwelling. Vidor was sitting there, firm as an oak, and as silent as night. Long grass grew up, 
through his long hair and the branches of trees crossed each other over his eyes. His ears were covered with moss and dew drops glistened upon his beard. It is almost impossible to get to him, sighed Freya, through all these wet leaves, and I'm afraid that his moss-covered ears are very deaf. But she threw herself down on the ground before him and said, Tell me, Vidar, does Odir hide among thick trees, or is he wandering over the broad west lands? Vidar did not answer her, only a pale gleam shot over his face, as if reflected from that of Freya, like sunshine breaking through a wood. He does not hear me, said Freya to herself, and she crushed nearer to him through the branches. Only tell me, Vidar, she said, is Odur here? But Vidar said nothing, for he had no voice. Then Freya hid her face in her lap and wept bitterly for a long time. An Asa, she said at last, looking up, is no better to one than an iron witch when one is really in trouble. And then she gathered her disordered dress about her, threw back her long bright hair, and springing into her chariot, once again went wearily on her way. Part 3 The King of the Sea and His Daughters At last she came to the wide sea-coast, and there everything was gloriously beautiful. It was evening, and the western sky looked like a broad crimson flower. No wind stirred the ocean, but the small waves rippled in rose-colored froth on the shore, like the smiles of a giant at play. Aegir, the old sea-king, supported himself on the sand whilst the cool waters were laving his breast, and his ears drank their sweet murmur. For nine waves were his beautiful daughters, and they and their father were talking together. Now, though Aegir looked so stormy and old, he was really as gentle as a child, and no mischief would ever have happened in his kingdom if he'd been left to himself. But he had a cruel wife called Ran, who was the daughter of a giant and so eagerly fond of fishing that whenever any of the rough winds came to call upon her husband, she used to steal out of the deep sea-caves where she lived and follow ships for miles under the water, dragging her net after her, so that she might catch anyone who fell overboard. Freya wandered along the shore towards the place where the sea-king was lying, and as she went she heard him speaking to his daughters. What is the history of Freya? he asked, and the first wave answered. Freya is a fair young Vana, who once was happy in Asgard. Then the second wave said, But she left her fair palace there, and Odur, her immortal love. Third wave, She went down to the cavern of dwarves. Fourth wave, She found Brisingamen there, and carried it away with her. Fifth wave. But when she got back to Folkvang, she found that Odur was gone. Sixth wave. Because the Vanna had loved herself more than immortal love. Seventh wave. Freya will never be happy again, for Odur will never come back. Eighth wave. Odur will never come back as long as the world shall last. Ninth wave. Odur will never return, nor Freya forget to weep. Freya stood still, spellbound, 
listening, and when she heard the last words, that Odor would never come back, she wrung her hands and cried, Oh, Father Aegir, trouble comes, comes surging up from a wide sea, wave over wave into my soul. And in truth it seemed as if her words had power to change the whole surface of the ocean. Wave over wave rose higher and spoke louder. Run was seen, dragging her net in the distance. Old Aegir shouted and dashed into the deep. Sea and sky mixed in confusion and night fell upon the storm. Then Freya sank down exhausted on the sand, where she lay until her kind daughter, the sleepy little Siofna, came and carried her home again in her arms. After this, the beautiful Vanna lived in her palace of Fokvang, with friends and sisters, Aesir and Asinur. But Odor did not return, nor Freya forget to weep. Freya, as she appears in the Edda, was the goddess of the beautiful year and of all sorts of love. The story of her marriage with Odor is extremely obscure, it is even thought that Odur is only a form of Odin, and in like manner that Freya and Frigga are very intimately connected. Frigga was the patroness of married love, of the happiness and duties of the home. Originally she and Freya and all the great goddesses were probably personifications of the earth. But Freya, as goddess of love, is less developed in idea than Frigga. She has more of the nature goddess, less of the woman in her. She was said to divide the spoil with Odin in battle, taking half the slain for herself and leaving him the other half, which points to her having been at one time his wife and sharing all with him. Supposing her to have been the beautiful year, or rather the earth during the beautiful part of the year, Odur leaving her would imply the beginning of the shortening of days at midsummer. The source of summer flies, summer seeks him weeping golden tears. Do these mean autumn's golden leaves and falling fruits, or that the sun's beautiful gifts must ever follow him? This myth of summer's source, the sun, declining from the year, has, it is supposed, been given to Odur because it was not important enough to belong to the greatest of the gods, although it was really wrapped up in his nature, and the names Odur and Odin are identical in German. Simrock says, quote, Every mythology tells us of the death of the beautiful part of the year, like the flight of a god who is mourned by his wife or his beloved. End quote. Looked at from this point of view, we see the summerly earth vaunting and decking herself with her richest jewels in the deepest pride of her delight at the very moment when the spirit of her existence is stealing away from her. The summer decked earth without the sun of her life is soulless, has become mortal. But it must be confessed that the Edda is very obscure about Brisingamen and does not mention the necklace in connection with Odor's departure. The Iron Witch was the mother of two wolves who devoured the sun and the moon at Ragnarok. She is not mentioned in the myth of Freya, but in another lay. It has been suggested that Freya's tears may be due, and she, in the character of Aurora, when she sheds them, weeping for some star god of the night. And the wanderings of Freya for myths and legends around the world. Collection 13.